Welcome to the SBCA Podcast Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Well, welcome everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, we are going to talk about your ace in the hole. Joining us today is Trevor Abinger, General Manager of Mannion Lumber and Truss in Pillager, Minnesota. Trevor and I are going to talk about one of their company's greatest strengths, their design department, and how he leverages that strength to grow their business. Trevor, welcome to the podcast. Well, Sean, thank you for having me. I appreciate the ask. Okay, well, let's start with Mannion Lumber and Truss. Uh, can you give everyone a quick overview of what you sell and who you primarily sell to? Well, like most component companies, uh, we sell residential mostly. I know a lot of them, uh, some companies do mostly commercial. We're strictly uh, residential and slightly some commercial, but that's pretty much our forte. Roof and floor trusses, that's about it. Okay. So when you say you sell to residential, is this like townhomes? Is it apartment buildings? Is it single family? Is it track? Is it custom? Uh, mostly single family. The area that we work in is predominantly vacation area. So we see a lot of uh, vacation homes, we'll call them. Most of them are in that, you know, between three quarters of a million dollars to million and a half to three million dollar homes uh, that people call their vacation homes. So you're in Minnesota. It's the land of a thousand lakes, or is it ten thousand lakes? That's right. I, that's that's a lot of vacation home space to to build on, then, right? <laughs> yes, it is, and we're right in the center of the state, uh, right in the Brainerd Lakes area. So it's very strong vacation area. Excellent. So if you're building a lot of these vacation homes, you're definitely not doing cookie cutter work, right? It's mostly one off. I'd say one offs are definitely the predominant of what we do. I'd have to say that everything is very unique. Mm. Okay. It, you know, you recently told me that one thing that helps you land this kind of work is you, the reputation you've built through your design department. So can you uh, give me some instances of what that's looked like? Uh, yeah, I sure can. You know, our, our design department, I'd have, I have to say that those guys are probably some of the best in the business. They're mm -hmm. very meticulous. And what has happened in the past is we work with certain builders that do some of these high-end homes. And once they've got a taste of the work that our design staff has done. They like the way the jobs go together. They like how meticulous they are, attention to detail. And they've started to kind of specifically ask for our certain designers on their next jobs just because they were so easy to work with. So is this one of those, like, because of the, the first job you do with somebody, they keep on coming back for more? Like, oh, that's exactly what I was looking for. Give me more. That's right. And the communication with them and, and the contractors and the lumber yard, uh, just it propagates more work just because they get comfortable. And when they have a question, they don't have to worry about it. It gets answered quickly. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you bring up your lumber yard. So how is the working relationship between the, the component manufacturing plant and the, and the lumber yard? I mean, how, how, does those, how does that work with your relationship with these builders? Well, uh, it always starts with the, with the sales staff here they travel out to the lumber yards and that's you know we are a wholesale company i know a lot of companies will do uh, direct to customer but we do work predominantly as a wholesale company mm. and 
So our sales staff makes the rapport with the lumber yard. And then, of course, they get us in contact with the contractors that do the actual groundwork. Uh, and then usually what will happen is the lumber yard salesman will kind of step back and let us have our designers be in direct contact with the contractors. That seems to be better than passing off the information. Ah, and uh, okay. yeah, that, that works the best. So that's good. So in this, uh, I think that's typically called like a two-step process. You're selling through uh, an LBM. Yes. Um, and you're selling, selling through several of them. So they're the ones who are sort of lining up the initial customer uh, who tells the lumberyard right. what they're looking for. Uh, but what's interesting, you said, was that typically then when it gets to, okay, we've landed this customer, we're going to be doing their, their trusses, they let that you have direct contact with the customer then and work with them going forward. That's right. You know, the old adage of, you know, the old telephone game where you stand in a circle and you whisper a message to somebody. And by the time it gets back around to you, it's completely changed. Well, that's exactly what happens here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you get in situations where uh, relaying information, you start to pass it between three or four people and it gets muddled or it gets messed up. And uh, it just seems to work better for everybody involved to just do that one-on-one -on -one with between the designer and the contractor. And uh, it's been a much smoother process for us. So that makes me curious. If you're working directly with the contractor, uh, does that mean you also have direct contact with the installer? That is correct. Yes. Okay. I, I'm I'm going a little off topic here, but I, I want to explore that a little bit because I know that a lot of times in the two-step process, one of the big criticisms is that the component manufacturer and the installer don't end up talking and that can sometimes lead to miscommunication and problems on the job site, either with installation or with batching or whatever it is. So That's if, right. you're, if you're talking directly with the, the framer, I mean, how does that relationship work? I mean, particularly if you're working with a, a contractor and a framer for the first time, do you do anything outside of the ordinary? Uh, you know, just communication. Make sure that we introduce ourselves make sure that they understand that we were the ones who designed the project and that if they have any questions, I help reassure them that if they do have questions, they're welcome to give us a call at any time. We're here for them during any regular business hours and sometimes past if necessary mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that the job is going correctly. And then we have our sales staff on the ground who gets out there, make sure that they see the project going up and the, the reassurance is there. And I think that makes a big difference on uh, that customer service. Pushing that forward really makes a huge difference on their comfort level is when they're, they're installing the project. So you sent somebody out there. So it's not like you just drop the trusses off and you walk your way and, and wipe your hands of it. Yeah, you can't wash your hands of a project once it's done. You got to see it through to the end. Uh, I'm a big professor of that. I always have been when I was doing sales for our company. And you have to see it through until it's finished. And then after you're finished like that, then when the customer is done, they will come back. Hmm. Okay. Excellent. All right. So you clearly have some rock star designers. Let's get back to them. Uh, I'm yeah. curious, like what's, what has been your approach as a company to, to build this strong design department? How have you trained them? What environment have you created? What, what processes do you have in place that helps them excel at this kind of custom one-off work that you're constantly doing that causes your customers to keep on wanting to come back? Well, you know, they've always been good uh, even before I actually started here, they so were wait, always wait, wait. some of the. Trevor, you're just saying you were lucky. I was, yes, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that I wasn't, but uh, you know they've always been good. But I did 
when I, I took this job as a manager of this company, I made it a strong point to show them that I was invested in what they do. Hmm. Uh, important, you, know, you always have that separation between sales and design. More importantly, I wanted to let them know that I had a strong feeling that they are the heart and soul of what we do. There's so many parts and facets of what we do that, that make it, you know, if one part falls apart, everything is done. It's a whole ecosystem. Hmm. But predominantly what, what has happened or what I've seen in the past is the design kind of gets forgotten. They're the workhorses of what we do. And they're like, oh, they stick them in a hole. And then they don't ever get recognized for the amazing work that they do on a regular basis or their amazing work ethic. So all of that was kind of in place. But what I did is I, I created a new design department for them and gave them everything that they needed to do their jobs correctly. I think that that has gone a long way to sewing us together as a team, but they've always been good. That was just luck on my part. So in some ways, you treat them like the rock stars that they are. I have to. Yeah. You know, a term that gets thrown out a lot is uh, the term framer friendly uh, and making framer friendly components. We, we just talked about how, you know, you have this direct conversation, communication with the contractor and the installer. With these rock star designers, is this part of what they do too? I mean, do they think about uh, the trust designs, particularly these one-off custom jobs? Like, are they thinking about how that affects the field? Uh, you know, that's interesting that you bring that up because uh, there's always a trade-off. You know, how much can we cover? How much can we design? How much is too much? Uh, I feel that my design staff always goes a little bit strong on trying to make sure they cover every portion of the building. Uh, mm. But then they also go as far as aligning webs. I know that that doesn't always happen, or I've been told that that doesn't always happen in every design but they'll make sure that they align all the webs and the floor trusses as much as possible so that the webbing patterns carry through, makes it a little easier for them to run their HVAC systems and that type of stuff if you don't have a chase through the, through the actual trusses in the floor. And then they do the same thing in the actual roof trusses, making sure they align webs, but yet optimize everything so that it's cost-effective for the company. So they're always framer-forward thinking, I believe. All right. So it's not even the framer. It's, it, I mean, it, it's not just the framer. It's also all the other trades, electrical, HVAC, whatever. Anybody that's running infrastructure through, through the web. That's right. Yeah. And I think it's important that you think of those things as those little tiny steps that you can take that make it easier for your customer or your end user that are not necessarily recognized, but much appreciated. Yeah. You know, I, I'm curious. I mean, is that something that your designers just naturally picked up? Or, I mean, do they have a background in framing? Or, like, where, where does that perspective come from? You know, we have a little bit of both. We have one who has a strong background in framing, and he is our design department head. Hmm. And so I think that he's passed that on to our other designers. One of the things that you look for in a designer is is that intelligence level, you know, that, that being able to think ahead of the game and see that design in a three-dimensional before you even actually start putting it together as a three-dimensional system. But then he's passed that information on. But I, I wouldn't say that framing is necessarily an end-all be-all to what what a designer can be because you don't have to have that, but it does help a lot. So uh, another thing that we touched upon at BCMC was sort of that relationship between the trust design department and the production line. Does your design department have a good sort of working relationship with your production side? They do. As a matter of fact, every one of our designers 
was actually a builder in our shop before they moved up to the design department. I think that gives them a really strong background on knowing what can and can't be done or what should and what shouldn't be done out in the shop because they've actually had their boots on the ground. They've had their hands on the hammers. They've been the ones installing the plates. And so when they're doing the design, they think of that, okay, is this going to be easy to build? Is this going to be something we can build quickly? Uh, Can we keep a main run of trusses through this project so that we can build the majority of them quickly in the same jig system? Hmm. Uh, Those are all, I think, things that that should be thought of in the design department. It goes way beyond just optimizing webs. Right. Well, okay. So what I'm hearing, Trevor, is that uh, having a rock star design department is one part luck, as you admitted to, but it's also having some smart guys who may or may not have some framing background, but definitely have some production line background, have direct communication with the contractor and the framer. And if they have all that, then they can have the information in the room that they need to be able to be forward thinking and have a successful project. I agree. Yes. (laughs) All right. So that's good. Hopefully um, that provides some insight to a few people about like, oh, you know, if I need to check the boxes of what I'm missing in my design department, here's maybe a few things that we can try to work on. But where I want to end, Trevor, is big projects. So, you know, in your recent BCMC education session, which I had the privilege of of sitting in and moderating, um, you actually gave the advice to aspiring sales reps to not chase the big score which I totally get. Uh, but you mentioned that you personally revel in landing those kinds of big jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, yes. And I know, like, we featured you guys uh, in the magazine maybe a few years ago about a giant dome that you guys had designed for a, a candy store in Minneapolis. Uh, so can you help me understand, like, why do you get fired up about those big jobs? I mean, what what is it for you personally? Why do you go after them? What do you get out of it? Um but why do you why do you give that advice to a sort of aspiring sales guys to not necessarily chase those projects? Well, you know, I've I've been fortunate enough to have had big jobs land in my lap. It hasn't been because I've actually chased those jobs. I've just been fortunate enough to have them kind of fall in my lap. Oh. No. Luck, luck again. Luck again, yes. And and you do need a portion of that. And I have in my in my history not been fortunate enough to have a lot of luck. But uh-huh it seems for some reason that these have always kind of fallen in my lap. Mm. Now, when it comes down to, if you're actually that advice that I gave for aspiring salespeople to not chase that big score, and I really mean that wholeheartedly because I never have actually chased them. I enjoy them and you should enjoy them when you get them. I think that's fantastic. But more importantly, it's not where your bread and butter is going to be. That's a one-time sale. That big candy store that we did, it was a one-time sale. Mm -hmm. Never had another sale from that company again. But I was the one that said yes. And what I do get fired up about them is you know, they're usually very unique. They're a challenge. They're a challenge for our shop. They're a challenge for our staff. Uh, and I think that that when you send those projects out to the shop and you show them what you're doing, everybody gets fired up about that as well. So I think all the way around, I mean, 100%, I think it's just great for the company to be able to get those and get that kind of that feather in your cap. Yeah. So you've landed them, but your your advice to not chase them is a good one from the standpoint of like, that's not going to be your bread and butter. If you're always chasing those, you're going to, it's going to be, be a lot of feast and famine, right? 
That's right. You're going to get it once in a while, you know, and, and, you know, people have had great success chasing big jobs and only big jobs. And that's what they focus on. But for us, at least in the area that we live in, our bread and butter is your standard garage systems, those little ones that kind of fill in between those big projects that kind of happen, Mm -hmm. uh, little additions and things like that. And you cannot survive without those. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Trevor, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate asking. Thank you very much. Well, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SPCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SPCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com.